Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the 44 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today, we're going to look at the current state of commercial real estate, what's shaping the market, and what we might expect for property-level performance and property values moving forward. My guest today is Ryan Severino with Reese. On a monthly basis, Reese provides market trends and forecasts of rent, vacancy, and inventory for apartments, office, retail, warehouse distribution, flex R&D, and self-storage properties. They do it in up to 275 metropolitan areas and more than 6,300 market segments. Ryan Severino is a senior economist there. He's also director of research in the research and economics department at Reese, the team responsible for the firm's market forecasting, valuation, and portfolio analytics services. Additionally, Ryan currently serves as the adjunct professor of finance and economics at Columbia um, University and New York University, teaching courses such as urban economics, portfolio and risk management, and macroeconomics. And Ryan, thanks for joining us in Studio One today. We appreciate you being here in Atlanta. Thanks, Michael. It's good to be back in the studio. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you. And I'd like to start with kind of a look at at the overall commercial real estate market and maybe going to go through segment by segment sure. because it's kind of interesting what's going on in the different sectors. And if we will, let's start with office. I mean, office seems to be kind of a moving market, right? There's a lot of things impacting the office market. First of all, how is the uh, property level fundamentals? Uh, are they still improving pretty well all over the country? I'd say overall office yeah. continues to improve. Vacancies mm-hmm. fallen a little bit since the peak is now down to about 16.6% nationally. We're still seeing Rents in excess of inflation growing at about 3% or so on a calendar year basis. So I think what's interesting about office is that even though we're starting to see net absorption more readily outpace construction, because there's still not a lot of construction activity these days, there's a pretty big rift between the performance in the CBDs and the suburbs these days. And I think it's a little bit more nuanced than the average person thinks. I think the story that most people understand is that the CBDs are outperforming the suburbs. And I think that's true. We have seen vacancy rates in the CBDs compress faster than where we've seen vacancies coming down in the suburbs. But the caveat to that that I think most people don't often think about is that inventory in CBDs is about half of what it is out in the suburbs. So there's kind of a denominator issue going on there in the sense that, yes, vacancy rates are coming down faster in the CBDs, but the inventory is about half as large. On an absolute basis, believe it or not, there's more space being leased in the suburbs than than there is in CBDs across the country. But you don't see that generally reflected as strongly in the vacancy rate data because it's so much of a bigger inventory. So I bring that up because I think the popular understanding in our industry is that the suburbs are dead and that Mm -hmm. this is the rise of the CBDs as jobs get kind of siphoned back into CBDs from the suburbs the way they got pushed out into the suburbs in the 90s. But I'd say that's certainly true to an extent. But I think there's a lot of activity going on in the suburbs that people probably aren't thinking about as directly unless you happen to be involved in some of those suburban office markets. Right. And this increased demand in, in the CBDs and, and in office in general, what's that doing to cap rates in the investment market? It seems like in the southeast where we sell most of our properties, it's been pretty hot. Yeah, I would say office for what's actually trading has mm-hmm. been pretty hot. Overall, cap rates are probably trading in the low sixes these days. And mm-hmm. I think there is investor interest out there. I think one of the things that we've seen since the recession is you just haven't seen the kind of turnover that we normally see in, in this stage of an economic recovery. And so I think a lot of it is because when people get their hands on a, a good building, 
yes, there's obviously the thesis you could trade it at a low cap rate, but they're also wondering, what do you do with that money once you sell it at a low cap rate? You probably have to roll that money into another low cap rate building somewhere. And so we're seeing some investors pausing a little bit. So for what's actually trading, the market environment is really aggressive and hot right now, especially if you're talking about sort of the, the key gateway markets around the country. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. We were talking with some investors about that this week. And, you know, when you look at some of these historic low uh, cap rates and you look at a possible situation where uh, interest rates are going to kind of hike up, maybe there's some other alternative investments for folks. Maybe maybe there's a little less interest in commercial real estate in the years down the road. Do you take some money off the table now? You know, do you sell at these low cap rates? Uh, because they're just, they're just so remarkable. What about the the fundamentals of the office market. What are some of the things that are really impacting it? It seems like there's there's a lot of things impacting it, right? You've got off uh, companies using less square footage uh, per employee. You've got telecommuting. You have all these things going on, but yet we're we're seeing increases in occupancy. What are some of the things that will impact uh, that sector? You're right. I, I'd say a lot of those dynamics are occurring. What's interesting is that some of those are kind of antithetical to each other, right? On the one hand, there has been a little bit of a push on the part of users of office space to reduce their footprint to shrink their their square footage per employee and then at the same time I think you've seen this idea that we should have a big common space that we didn't have before and we could mm -hmm. you know hold hands and sing kumbaya and we'll all be more productive and so there's also this notion of should we not be working in an office in certain professions does it not actually necessitate us coming into an office every day in, in a conventional office space where we can maybe be working from home part of the time and then coming into an office you know a minimal amount of time maybe one day per week or every so often and i think i think the jury's still out on a lot of this stuff i think some of this stuff is really being tested i think there are parts of the office market that kind of has this down to a science. If you work in anything creative, you know, tech or design, fashion, where they have collaborative spaces, they have really gotten the open plan office format down to a science. I think mm -hmm. what we're seeing right now, which is a very interesting experiment in many respects, is when you take that model and you foist it upon industries that don't normally lend themselves to that sort of open plan format, like financial services, business and professional mm -hmm. services, I think we're, we're testing this out a little bit. The other thing that's gone on, and I think you don't often hear this discussed, is that you don't typically see the size of leases increased until the lease expires. You don't often see a lot of intra-lease changes unless it's absolutely necessary. And mm -hmm. so what I would expect is some of these leases that were signed at the bottom of the market, which will be rolling over the next few years or so, depending upon the market that you're in and the, and the duration of the lease that exists, they will probably increase the size of their footprint, which will be uh, certainly a boon for, for demand for the space. Because as they've been adding staff, which I think as everybody knows, the, the employment market has done a lot better over the last couple of mm -hmm. years, they'll probably find themselves with a little bit more of a need for space. So I think all of those things are, are kind of in a little bit of a tug of war with each other. But I'd say the general push is for more space and net absorption to be increasing going forward, which is generally a, a positive for the office yeah, market. Yeah, that is positive. And it's also interesting to see as the job market's improved for retention and for recruiting, you know, if you're trying to recruit high-paying individuals, do they really want to be in a bench with headsets on? Right. I, I think that's a, a very important unanswered yeah. question. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of sort of middle to, to higher wage, higher value add professionals have probably been willing to stomach this in the absence of an abundance of opportunities. Right. But you're right. I think what you're going to see as the labor market continues to improve, as turnover starts to increase, 
as people have an abundance of opportunities that they didn't have during the depths of the downturn, that all of a sudden being arm's length away from somebody else with a headset on isn't so appealing anymore you right. know, to be a little bit euphemistic about it. And so I think, what, and that's one of the reasons why I think this is an interesting experiment. I think some organizations that have tried this will probably stick with it. And I think some organizations that have tried this will probably realize that it's it's not tenable in the long run. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in our profession as commercial real estate brokers and advisors, you know, we, we do still do private offices on glass here at our firm. And a lot of our friends in the industry are not doing that. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when I'm handling somebody's financial decisions and, and, give, and helping them make big decisions, I don't know that I should be discussing that on, on a, in an open floor plan, but it'll be interesting. I want to get quickly in this segment, if we can, while we're on office, uh, on office, talking about that sector and what's going to happen down the road. How, how is the lack of new construction impacting the values and, and rates? It seems like, you know, in some of the markets, like, uh, you know, we're headquartered here in Atlanta, hasn't been a lot of new construction. And so we're seeing some rate shock where tenants are renewing leases. And in some cases, they're, uh, you know, 30, 40 percent higher than when they did a lease in the downturn. I'd say it's been great. I'd yeah. say uh, the lack of construction has generally, I mean, obviously, in, in an industry like ours, depending upon what side of the business you're on, great or not great <laughs> is yeah. contingent upon where you are. But yeah. generally, for the health of fundamentals, I would say it has been a good thing. We have seen upward some upward pressure on rents. We've seen some upward pressure on valuations. And a lot mm -hmm. of that is owed to the fact that we are still seeing construction at levels low, not just low versus boom times, but low even versus more normal normal environments in the market. And I think that's that's generally been a good thing for valuations, for cap rates, for, for lease rates. And I think uh, that's probably not likely to change anytime soon. It's going to take a while for fundamentals to improve to the point where it becomes a catalyst for greater new construction. And if you used a rough percentage, what level of new construction, where are we compared to historic? Boy, we're, we're low. And 10%, low. 15%? Yeah, maybe 10 to 15% yeah. at the most. Yeah. We're really, really low right now. That's, that's amazing. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have more on the commercial real estate market with Reese on Real Estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today our show is called Reese on Real Estate. We have Ryan Severino here and Studio One. He's a senior economist with Reese. And Ryan, I'd like to ask you about the industrial market. It's been really doing well, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think industrial really, in my mind, is the property type, at least in the short term, that's poised to take the baton from apartment and run for a little while as sort of the most favored asset class in commercial real estate. I think what's been great about the industrial market is that the industrial market doesn't care so much whether you're buying goods online or using an app on a smartphone or you're actually going to a bricks and mortar store and purchasing something. All that industrial really cares about is that those goods have to be stored somewhere temporarily and then redistributed. And so I would say with the economy recovering over the last six years, with spending ramping back up again, the labor market strengthening, there has been a lot 
lot of demand for industrial that's really been unleashed over the last three, four, five years. And those cap rates have uh, really compressed, haven't they? They have. And I think what you're seeing is that investors are kind of waking up to this idea that industrial you know, isn't sort of the stepchild of commercial real estate. And I think there was a school of thought out there for a while that genuinely believed that industrial wasn't a sexy asset class the way office was or the way retail was. And I think one of you know the key linchpins of that that I've seen over the last year or so is that you've seen very significant foreign money coming into industrial in a way that we haven't really seen it before. You know, big portfolio acquisitions, multi-billion dollars. And I'd say that's kind of a watershed moment because we've seen that with other property types in the past, but we were kind of waiting for that shoe to drop for industrial. And I think now that you're seeing it, I think the secret is out a little bit, that people realize that the fundamentals are very good for industrial, that it offers attractive investment opportunities. I think the one knock on industrial for a while was that the properties individually tend to be on the smaller side, generally speaking. And so it was always difficult to move any significant amounts of money into industrial. But with these portfolio acquisitions that have become available, investors have clearly found a way to place a lot of money relatively quickly. Right. And the consumers wanting their goods quickly, that's also helping the industrial market, isn't it? Yeah, I think the issue that the industry is trying to figure out, and I don't know if anybody has a really good handle on it yet, but certainly everybody's trying, is that last mile phenomenon, akin Mm -hmm. to when technology was rolling out in the late 90s and early 2000s, they could lay all of this really great fiber line, but then they were worried about the last mile being copper, something a lot slower than that. I think we're building these big mega box distribution centers that are very high tech and they're very advanced, but at the end of the day, people still want their goods in a relatively short turnaround. And so what the industry's grappling with are what are the best ways to get those goods to the purchasers in either the shortest amount of time possible or within the promised amount of time that we've, we've basically uh, allotted to them. Right. And a lot of our listeners are institutional quality investors and all over the country, and they're doing the big box deals. But also you've got some uh, listeners and, and viewers of the show are dealing with smaller properties. And even those properties with housing coming back and, and uh, jobs coming back, they're, even the smaller properties are starting to see more demand, aren't they? Absolutely. I'd yeah. say that's one of the big changes we've seen in the last six to 12 months. Prior to the last six to 12 months, I think the story everyone understood about industrial that it was really the rise of these mega box distribution centers, a million square feet or more that catered to e-commerce clients. And I think what we've seen over the last six to 12 months is that you're starting to see a deeper pool of demand. And I would I would characterize as the recovery in demand for industrial as being incredibly widespread, even down to some of the, you know, smaller boxes, 100 to 200,000 square feet. Even there, we've started to see demand certainly running ahead of construction because we're outside of those mega box centers we're not seeing very much construction in industrial these days and so as the pool of demand starts to deepen you're seeing vacancy rates across the size spectrum start to compress and i think that's really the big change that that we've seen recently that it's gone from being very concentrated in the upper echelons of of the size portion of the market to uh, some smaller segments of the market so that's a pretty big change over the last half year to year or so. And so your outlook for the industrial market moving forward is positive? Absolutely. I would say, barring some sort of idiosyncratic shock to the economy, which I certainly am not forecasting, I think with GDP growing, with trade volumes you know, somewhat stagnant, but still generally increasing, with the labor market increasing, we're starting to finally see some signs of 
firming up on the part of wages by by workers in the economy, all of that portends good things for the industrial market going forward. And and even though I would say that construction is expected to accelerate over the next few years, I would expect demand to exceed construction, at least for the foreseeable future. It's just that kind of environment right now. In last segment, we talked about the office market. What's your outlook for the future of office? Positive as well. I would say better over the next four to five years than the previous four to five years. I think we're going to struggle to get back to vacancy rates that we saw before the Great Recession. But even within that, I think we can get back to low double-digit vacancy rates for office, which I would say are emblematic of a healthy environment. Is it is it going to be like the late 90s? No, probably not, although I clearly that was not a sustainable thing. It mm-hmm. probably won't even be like it was in the 2000s, but I think even there we can get back to a healthy environment before we have to run into the next recession. And then you mentioned multifamily. I mean, multifamily's been on fire. There's been a lot of new construction. Some people in some markets are, are a little concerned maybe about the, the levels of construction. Uh, how is the multifamily market doing today? At least to this juncture, it is the darling of commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Vacancy rates are still just a bit above 4%, which is incredibly low by historical standards. I think the only time we've ever seen vacancy rates lower than that was in the dot-com era, and clearly that was not sustainable. So it's been really a, a long time, if ever, that we've seen vacancy rates this low for this sustained period of time. But I think you're right to highlight the one major concern is that going forward, we are really going to have to contend with a much more swollen supply pipeline than we've had to contend with over the last four to five years. I think over the last four to five years, the supply situation has been relatively benign. Last year, it started to change. From this year forward, supply is going to be much more of a problem for the marketplace than in the past. But to put that in context, it's not as if we think this is the death knell for the apartment market because there still is a lot of demand out there. Gen Y is a very young generation. There's still a lot of 20-something-year-olds who tend to be renters and not homeowners. And so there is still this groundswell of demand that's waiting out there to tap into the market. It just seems like there's so much construction right now that in, in many markets across the country, it's going to be difficult for demand to keep pace with the level of new supply that we expect to come online over the next few years. Yeah, it's been amazing, the, the amount of demand and the, the continued increase of occupancy and rates. It seems like it, it's surprising a, a lot of people. And then that's really impacting the cap rates uh, in multifamily, isn't it? Yeah, cap rates in multifamily are, they're near historically low levels, if not actually, depending upon what interval you're using, if not actually at historically low levels, 6% on average. And and in some of the really hot markets across the country, you know, you're seeing deals go off, you know, two to three, three to four in some cases. I mean, those are are incredibly low cap rates by, you know, by any standard. Yeah. So your outlook for investors uh, in multifamily? Still optimistic, but more cautious than it was in the past. Pick your spots. Over the last three to four years, almost any deal that you could have done probably would have worked out. So the rising high tide of the market probably papered over mistakes that people otherwise would have made. The market's not going to be nearly as forgiving going forward. So I'm telling people, sharpen your pencils. Don't just look at what's under development, but what else could potentially be other development? Not just you know parcels of land, but potential redevelopment sites, potential knockdowns, and then new construction, because the pipeline does continue to swell as we go forward, because not everyone genuinely believes that supply is going to exceed demand. And if people don't earnestly believe that, then they have a huge incentive to keep building. And that's kind of what we're seeing in the market these days. Yeah. Well, it has been the darling industry, hasn't it? And and I think throughout my career of 35 years, it's, it's been a popular 
uh, sector because it's simple, right? If, if, you're, if you're having vacancy problems, reduce your rents a little bit, right? It's an, it's an easy one. Well, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the commercial real estate market with Reese on Real Estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull here at our Studio One. We only have the finest equipment to bring you this show all over the country. My guest is Ryan Severino. Our show is called Reese on Real Estate. Ryan is a senior economist and I always enjoyed talking to you, Ryan, about the commercial real estate market and your outlook. And, and one of the sectors that uh, has some people a, a little concerned, but also there seems to be a lot of opportunity, is the retail sector. How is retail performing? You know, retail is interesting because it's one of those sectors where if you look at the headline data, it's going to tell you a story that's not tremendously exciting. And I think if you look at the underlying data, you get into the weeds a little bit, you find that it's a little more nuanced than that. So the headline story goes something like this. Vacancy rates are slowly compressing and rents are slowly rising. But underneath that, it's a little more nuanced in the sense that on the one hand, what we're really seeing is a reflection of the overall economy in the sense that the properties are doing well tend to be really high-end properties or really low-end properties that are catering to either really affluent households or you know, sort of at the lower end of the income distribution spectrum. The middle of the market's still kind of struggling. It's still looking for demand to come back in some respects. So I think that story is very, very well understood. The other part of what's going on in the industry, I think that's not as well understood is that we've really seen this fracturing of demand over the last couple of decades, partially due to the internet. I, I think everyone generally understands the story of e-commerce these days and the rise of the internet and, and what a prominent feature it has become in terms of consumption of goods. But the other part of that story is that we have seen a proliferation of different retail subtypes over the last couple of decades that didn't really exist, at least in not any sufficient scale, prior to the 90s. So power centers and lifestyle centers and town centers, even outlet centers, are now more prominent than they were in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And that has caused the splintering of demand in a way that we didn't see. So I think if we're only looking at one or two categories of retail formats, it's probably not going to give us the whole story. Once you look at the bigger picture and you incorporate all of the different subtypes, then it starts to look a little bit more robust. So I'd say, don't let the headline data mislead you. There are some very, very strong pockets of activity in retail these days. You just kind of have to pick your spots a little bit. Yeah, right. And those real popular spots can, can be pretty expensive uh, for tenants today. And how about the levels of new construction in retail? We talked about how it's really impacting the other sectors we've covered so far, but there's been a not much uh, new uh, supply in retail either has it? No, it's been virtually non-existent. And I, I don't say that hyperbolically. And if you look at the aggregate amount of construction in neighborhood and community centers and malls across the country on a quarterly basis, the aggregate new square footage sums to the equivalent of one or two medium-sized new centers. And that's for the whole entire country. And so mm -hmm. even though construction is slowly ramping up, it's still virtually non-existent. It's, it's incredibly benign and favorable toward the market in the sense that whatever increase in demand that we see is, is almost immediately translating into 
declining vacancies and, and putting some upward pressure on rents because it's not really in this tug of war with new construction the way that we're seeing, you know, for example, in the apartment sector mm-hmm. where there is a little bit of a tug of war between supply and demand right now. We're just not seeing that in retail. There's so little being built that it's basically going into you know, the scant amounts of new construction, and then the overflow goes into existing inventory, which obviously causes vacancy rates to decline. And we sell a lot of uh, B shopping centers. I wish we showed more A. We sell some A, but the B ones that we sell seem to be really popular. How do you see cap rates uh, trending right now in retail? You know, they're pretty low. I, mm-hmm. And again, I think the knock on the industry is that it's struggling. And yes, in aggregate, there are pockets of the market that are struggling. But I think if you look at retail cap rates, they have come down over the last couple of years. They're not quite as low as apartment or, or even office in that sense. There's probably, depending upon where in the country you are, 100 to 150 basis point spread between where we're seeing apartments uh, and where we're seeing retail properties these days. But that said, there are some pockets of activity where the cap rates are incredibly low. And so I think I think what's interesting about the market right now is with some of those higher cap rate properties, you kind of have to understand what's really going on. Are those properties struggling because of just some sort of cyclical impairment that's going on with, with the fallout from the recession and, and this sort of you know tepid recovery that we've found ourselves in? Or is it a little more structural? Is there something going on with the economy in that part of the, the country that is a little more permanent and we really need to wrap our minds around why that's the case? And so that's the part of the market that I personally find the most intriguing because you tell me that somebody's trading at a 10 cap and I think, okay, why is that the case and does that make sense to go forward with with doing that deal or or is it something that we should probably walk away from and i'd say a lot of my clients will call and ask about that and we'll look at the market together and try to figure that out sometimes it's it's an easy story to understand and sometimes it's more complicated and and, and nuanced than i think it, it appears at first blush well it's interesting because you know there lies a lot of opportunity right if you're getting a maybe it is a b asset class you're getting for a 10 and has a lot of upside i think we've seen in the apartment market you know b and c class properties in some markets like ours in atlanta where we've had the highest increase in occupancy and rents in those communities. Might we have the same thing in retail with the lack of new construction? May some of these second tier or B properties start to improve more? I think, yes, as the overall economy recovers, you should see better demand trickling into those centers. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe that tin cap is a good deal. Maybe not. Might be. (laughs) Stay tuned. Yeah. And stay tuned out there in TV and radio land. We'll be back with more Reese on Real Estate. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show, where we always have fun. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Our show today is Reese on Real Estate. Ryan Severino is here in Studio One with us in Atlanta. And Ryan, we're hearing that interest rates are going to rise. (laughs) Who knows when, right? How much? You know, we hear that maybe in September, you know, maybe the first quarter. What do you think? You know, it's interesting. We've certainly been hearing for the last few years that this is the year that interest rates are going to rise. But I think people earnestly believe that now. I think Mm -hmm. if you look at 
the Fed changing their language and some of the statements that they've made and the way that they've been, been prepping the market. I think especially if you look at some of the underlying data, if you actually look at some of the economic fundamentals, they probably look better than people think at first blush. You know, the, the consumption data is firming up a little bit. Wage data is firming up a little bit. Even inflation data, if you look at uh, CPI as opposed to the PCE, you're even seeing some firming there of core inflation as well. And so I think the smart money, or at least the betting money out in the market these days, thinks it's going to be sometime in the latter half of this year. I think there's a school of thought out there that probably isn't the most prominent that thinks the data has been been pretty strong and it will probably be in September when they raise rates. I think there's another school of thought that says uh, they'll probably are on the side of caution and it will be December. I think I don't I don't have a strong opinion either way. I think the second half of the year is, is probably about right. I think what's going to be interesting though is that once they start raising rates, they will probably pause initially and see how the economy digests higher rates and then wait a quarter or two and then probably revisit that. I think in the medium to long run, the Fed would like rates to be hundreds of basis points higher than where they are today, but only if the economy can actually stomach that. So I think slow at first and then accelerating a little bit if the economy is really in a position that's strong enough to countenance these higher interest rates. So slow meaning what, 25 basis points? Yeah, I think the first meeting would probably be 25 Mm -hmm. and then they would give it a quarter or so to see what actually happens and then revisit that and then maybe another 25 and then see. And then I think once the economy is probably in a little bit stronger position, you'll see more consistent increases from quarter to quarter. But initially, it's going to be somewhat inconsistent because I think they're going to be a little bit cautious about it. See what happens. And so are you on the school of thought that do we have that first increase in September? I probably lean a little more toward December, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were September. Some of the real hawkish voices uh, that came out in late 2014, you know, uh, open market committee members that were really mm-hmm. clamoring for an increase now have softened their tone a little bit. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they they do push it off. But I, I can't say I have a really strong opinion one way or another. You know, and I think being a commercial real estate advisor, I kind of think of these low interest rates are fantastic for our industry. but. But if they start raising uh, rates, it is a good sign for the economy. That's really good news. Absolutely. And I think that's the one thing that our industry maybe doesn't fully digest as well as they Mm -hmm. should, that rising interest rates portend a better economic outlook. And so that generally means that GDP is growing, the labor market's improving. And from a commercial real estate point of view, it means NOI actually starts, you know, growth starts to accelerate. And I think that translates into... High, all else being equal, higher values and lower cap rates. Now, there is a little bit of a tug of war between rising interest rates and, and improvement in, in fundamentals, putting downward pressure on cap rates. But at the end of the day, as long as we don't get some kind of exogenous shock that causes interest rates to jump in a you know, really dramatic fashion, all else being equal, I would expect falling interest rates to generally be a good thing for cap rates and values. And the same is true in, in publicly traded equity markets in the mm-hmm. stock market. It's because, again, it portends better economic times ahead. I'm not saying that there's still a boom left in the stock market the way we've seen over the last four or five years, or there's a, a boom less left in real estate or cap rate compression the way that we've seen. But you know, we're not out of the game just yet. It's not the ninth inning. There are probably you know, an inning to an inning and a half to be played here before we have to worry about uh, bringing in the closer and calling it a night. Yeah. And as you're gauging that play on NOI growth 
for the future and uh, interest rate increases and how that's going to impact the market. What are you using for an exit cap rate, if you will, for five years from now? You know, I, personally, I would be cautious about this. Mm-hmm. I would probably use something that's a little bit above where we are because mm-hmm. I think if you look five to 10 years down the road, there's almost, I say almost, very cautiously I say almost, a 100% probability there's going to be another recession. Because if you look at recovery slash expansion periods in the economy in the United States, they tend not to last too long, You know, depending upon how you're looking at it, four to seven years, something like that. By the end of this month, this will be six years since the advent of economic recovery in the United States. So by conventional standards, this recovery would be long in the tooth. But that said, the empirical research fairly conclusively shows that these kinds of recessions produce recoveries that are shallower on a per annum basis, but longer. So we probably still have two, three, maybe even four years for this to run. But beyond that, there is, again, almost a 100% chance that we're going to get into a recession. And the surefire way to get cap rates to expand is to get into a recession. And so I'd say if you're underwriting five to 10 years out, be cautious. You're probably going to need higher exit caps, maybe 100 to 200 bips above where we are today. But it depends on the asset, depends on the market. So, I, But I don't think a lot of people are underwriting to that. I think a lot of people still think cap rates are going to continue to fall for the next five to 10 years. And then going back to our question earlier about, hey, do you sell right now at these low cap rate high prices? Well, if you're going to sell in the next five years, then what you're saying is, hey, go ahead. Yeah, I think if you have a really short-term holding period or a really long-term holding period, you're yeah. probably okay. Yeah. In the middle is where it's a little more problematic, and there's yeah. there's heightened uncertainty about where the economy is going to be and where cap rates will be. Right. And if you look at the typical U.S. investor, they're, they're not real long-term holders, typically, unless you're talking about some of the REITs and things. But, but anyway, we're going to have more on the commercial real estate market with Reese on Real Estate with Ryan Severino. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll have some more fun as soon as we get right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit commercialrealestateshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, your host. Our show today is Reese on Real Estate. We have Ryan Severino, Senior Economist with Reese, here in Studio One with us. And Ryan, one of the things that I guess a lot of us know that uh, has an impact on commercial real estate is the is the housing market. But but it uh, maybe some of us don't realize that you know what retail follows roofs. You know you got a lot of things that are going on in, in residential real estate and housing impact commercial real estate. So how is residential home sales? Where are we? You know we're getting better. I would mm-hmm. say you know clearly it's not the 2000s, and not that I'm in a big hurry to get back to the 2000s. Clearly, but if you look at volume, it's definitely trending upward. If you look at pricing, even controlling for the the effect of the big institutions buying some inventory out there, it's generally trending upward. I think there are some really heartening signs that are out there in the sense that if you look at what's going on in the residential mortgage market, refining activity is down a little bit with, with mortgage rates creeping up. But 
the amount of volume that's attributable to first time home buyers is actually increasing. And I take that as a very heartening sign that even in the face of marginally rising mortgage rates, which are still incredibly low by historical standards, you're starting to see first time home buyers return to the market. And, and part of it is a function of the economy, that GDP is stronger and the labor market is clearly better than it was a few years ago. But I think it's also because you know, you're seeing the older echelons of Gen Y start to move into their kind of early to mid 30s. And that's when they start to think about getting married and having kids and, and owning a home makes more sense. So I'd say most of the major indicators are generally pointing in the right direction for housing, you know, not just in the current environment, but certainly uh, intimating better things for the future as well. Right. And like all these property types and sectors, uh, it's really uh, specific to the area sure. and the market. And, you know, a lot of the land that we sell around the southeast is really hot. And then we have some markets that are still uh, have not heated up. And some of the sectors that are really impacted by um, housing are, well, first, retail, right? The impact there? Yeah, I think you're right. what you said, I think, is, is generally one of the truisms in our industry, that retail does follow rooftops. And I think a lot of people realize that kind of on the negative side in the last downturn where there was a lot of speculative housing built in certain parts of the, you know, parts of Southern California and Arizona and Nevada and Florida. And then they built these retail centers on the anticipation of households moving in. And then it didn't work so well for them because that was predicated on phantom demand. I think now what you're seeing is a little more robust demand in the sense that it's not so flighty. It's not predicated on investors. And that's not to say that the institutions aren't out there trying to make a buck on, on some of the deals that they're doing. But I think a lot of the people that are purchasing homes at this juncture really intend to use it as shelter for a long period of time. And I think if you look at the retail market, they're, they're looking at that for the future as a positive sign and saying, okay, where do we see housing firming up a little bit and then how can we capitalize on that? So you're right, I think there are pockets of strength and weakness, but I think there are some enterprising uh, retailers out there that are paying attention to that. Yeah, one of our big retail clients the in the past used to base uh, new stores on, on potential households. Now they're at like, no, I won't see households. I want to see them moving in. How about multifamily? How is new home sales improving, impacting that sector? Or, or is it or will it? You know, I, I think the conventional wisdom in our industry is that those things are in opposition to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality of it is they're a little more complementary in the sense that it tends to be younger people who are renters more than um, older people in society. There's a very strong correlation between age and the home ownership rate. And so I think, again, home ownership rate is generally emblematic of a better overall economy. And if the overall economy is improving, then it should mean that people have more money to spend on things like rents. And so it should be a, sort of a, at least a stabilizing force for demand in that sense. So I, I think the, the one thing people need to sort of move away from is thinking that there's this sort of purely economic rent versus own dynamic, where it's a lot more nuanced than that. People generally make that decision based on the stage of life that they're in, you know, getting married, having children, et cetera, as opposed to, oh, what's relatively cheaper and expensive. And so I, I, I look at the housing market as a good sign for the future. That's excellent, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Happy to be back in studio again. And uh, stay tuned. You got to see us next week. We'll talk about senior housing. Until next Next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. 
The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.